Hello and welcome to episode 205 of Effect. We're touching base. <laughs> I'm Matthew and Dave, you said you weren't going to snigger. <laughs> no, I said you were going to snigger. You told me not to snigger. I said you were going to snigger. So I don't quite know why we're sniggering at the words touching base, because that means getting contact with people. It doesn't mean something more lewd and scurrilous than that. But still. It does the way I say it, Dave. Our, our, our prehistoric, you know, mammal brain. Childish sense of humour. Yes. Anyway, welcome to the show. Yes, I'm Dave. And today we have got um, a few things to talk about in the world of gaming. There's quite a lot of stuff we're going to talk about D&D. In the world of games, yeah, there's a we're, lot of D and D. The alternative happening. title for this was going to be "We're D and D Crazy." <laughs> yeah, but I couldn't go that far, frankly. Uh, um, and then the main, uh, the main, the main part of the show is uh, my piece on base building. So, with The Walking Dead having just um, gone through its Kickstarter, and clearly, base building is a key element of that game. We got talking on the Discord uh, about exactly that and it's one of my favorite things in a role-playing game is a good base and a good base building rules so we thought i'll have a look at those and um and come up with some comments so uh, we've got a conversation about that a bit later on as well so um well we've got an essay from you about that whether or not we've got a conversation will be about whether i want to participate in it that's true but seeing this is a two-handed podcast it does kind of you know there, there's an there's an assumption that the co-host will participate in the in the in the show at some <laughs> point i would i would have thought but no if you know if i if i'm wrong all these years then um you know please please correct me yeah yeah well you are and i frequently do um <laughs> for example you mentioned everything that's in the show except for the fact that we're also going to be welcoming three new patrons to the show indeed absolutely uh, well, and these are all lovely people, um, three patrons, all within the space of pretty much the last week. Um, the first uh, goes by the name on Patreon of Broken Witch. So welcome, Broken Witch, and, uh, and thank you. Broken Rich or Broken Witch? No, Broken Witch. <laughs> you got your, your W's mixed up there, yeah. Broken Rich would sound a bit... Well, but I yes. don't mind anybody called Broken Rich as long as they're ready to contribute some of their riches to our Patreon. <laughs> I really don't mind them. Doing. It's all about the money for you, isn't it? It's just it's the fame and money. It's the only reason you do this. It's the fame and money. Well, we, <laughs> we did get down to the point where I was sending out swag this month to our patrons. Indeed. And I couldn't actually afford to buy the envelopes, so we had that little money in our bank account. Oh, my God. That, that's no good. Are you good? Well, are you, at this time of year, I always try and run our bank account down so in case the tax man comes sniffing we can show that uh, we're a non-profit yeah we're not having any profit but yeah. um i did think i had uh, enough money to buy the envelopes and i didn't uh. i had to pay for them myself oh my god no but that swag is really cool and the, the key element of it is uh, a new tales of the old west dice tray which is fabulous. It's not just a key element of it. It's it's all of the, it. It's one hundred percent of the swag. Is. Okay, I thought you were sending out badges as well and stuff, but no. Okay. Uh, so, uh, all, most most of our patrons actually, it's a good point. Actually, I should have maybe sent some badges to the newest patrons that got this who, who who've missed out on it. If you're a gold level patron and um, you think you're owed a badge or uh, one of our HMS Yamato patches, 
give us a shout and I'll send that to you. I've also said previously um, that any patrons, if you want a badge or a um, patch, just drop us a line on Patreon with your postal address and we'll we'll do that because we wanted to say thank you this year for everybody yeah, to all absolutely. our patrons. But we don't have your, your mailing addresses unless you're a top-level patron. Yes. Um, well, and we'll a- do that, I think, until UK Games Expo. And then I think... Um, we might give a bunch of those away when we're at UK Games Expo, as yeah. I thought. So no, that's that a time good. limit for you. I've only had one person say they want a badge and a patch um, so far. So, uh, and I haven't sent that out yet because I was going to do a, a batch of those at some point. Cool. But uh, yeah, if you want a badge or patch, whatever level of patron you are, drop us a line on Patreon. Yeah, cool. Um, uh, anyway, that's just one of our patrons. It is. We have more. We got, we got two more new patrons. Um, I'm going to let you introduce the third, but f- but before that, I just want to say welcome and thank you to Ian Strunch. Welcome. Is welcome. it Strunch or is it Stronach? Hmm, let me go back to Patreon. Have I just mistyped hmm. that? The way you've typed it into into the notes, it's Strunch, but it might yeah. be Strun- It might well be Stronach, mightn't it? Or whatever the correct pronunciation. It is. Of Sorry, the I, that's a mistyping of me in the notes. Oh, it's Ian Stronach. Um, do stay with us, even though I mistyped your name. <clears throat> you should get used to Matthew's butchering of people's names by now. So um, <laughs> it, it's kind of a rite of it's a rite of passage. So welcome. as I read it, I you was are going, you are really one of us now. Nobody called Strunch. <laughs> you are really one of us now. So uh, yes, welcome, <laughs> welcome. Um, and the third, uh, our third patron is um, one of the guys from from my Wednesday evening crowd, um, Pete Newbold. Um, fabulous to have you on board, Pete. And he'd been talking to me about the podcast over the last few weeks and obviously enjoying it, which is great. But I hadn't realised he hadn't told me he was going to pitch in and join us as a patron. So that's fabulous. Great to see uh, you. You say you hadn't realised, but I know because last last episode I announced Martin Cookson had joined us as a patron and I'd said that I'd had lunch with him previously and, and played uh, uh, Tales of the Old West with him you felt you had to have somebody you knew <laughs> become a patron I bet, I bet you were on your knees saying Peter, Peter, please be a patron I can't be the social outcast who hasn't got any friends patronising our show you did, didn't you? no, no um, the, okay. the, the one thing well, with it now is I, I will have to be nice to Pete in our games from now on, which is not a common <laughs> thing. So, so well done, Pete. At the very least, you make me be nice to you for the for a weekend, for a week. Pete, <laughs> you have earned plot immunity. <laughs> it's, it's That's quite, a bonus. I didn't realise. I'll put that on the Patreon. It's quite funny. If you play it, a game, we won't kill you. <laughs> in, a, um, in, the, in the Star Trek game I'm running, Pete's the pilot. Uh, and... The last couple of games haven't been very pilot heavy, so he's been like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, yeah, move the ship into orbit," and Pete will just say, "Okay, I just press a button," <laughs> and that's been like the extent <laughs> of his involvement. Uh, sadly, <clears throat> I'll, I'll have you crash the ship soon, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> yes. Uh, cool. Are you watching <clears throat> the latest um, uh, Star Trek show, Picard? Not yet. No. Oh well, I better not spoil it for you then. But. Um... Is it? I'm, I'm hearing crashing ships. I'm hearing better things about it than the previous two. It's, seasons. it's well, it, I I cannot tell a lie. It is a million times better than either the previous two seasons. But the last episode, 
pissed me off. Okay. Um, not the last <clears throat> episode of the show. That's the last one we've seen, which is the penultimate episode. Of the right. Season. Pure right. fan service in a way that um, I didn't agree with. If you if you want to know more, then become a patron, join our Discord, and uh, read our spoilers channel, where um, uh, a couple of us agree that it was a crappy episode, and a bunch of people say it was brilliant and they loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, which means they're yeah. easily manipulated by fan service. <laughs> Andrew, I'm looking at you. Or maybe, maybe fan service is what they wanted. You know, sometimes well, a bit of a yeah, nostalgia. So they a nostalgia did, trip but it doesn't is, make is great telly. All you want. Well, it might. Well, it, if you're, you know, if each person takes from from a program what they want, and you know, yeah. one day you might be in the mood for a big dose of nostalgia, and the fan service will 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 play to you really well. So I I don't think we can do your your usual thing of, of giving people a hard time because they like something that you don't. Personally. Okay. Now, I haven't watched it yet, of course. And I still haven't even watched Strange New World. So I've, I need to find myself some time to actually just sit down and enjoy some of these programs that enjoy, enjoy I, some track, yeah. I keep missing. I, yeah. but it, by comparison, there wasn't a single shitty episode of Strange New Worlds. Yeah, again, I've um, only heard really good things about it. And it's exactly the kind of Star Trek uh, yeah. that I, would, I should enjoy. So there's no good reason. Yeah. I just need to get around to watching it. Mm. No, absolutely. Mm. I think you'll love it. But I might I, do. What, I, I might I, do what some of our our patrons have have done with Picard is just miss season two and go straight to season three. So oh, I, don't yeah, seriously, don't bother because actually, season two has obviously not happened. It obviously happens in an alternative universe because there is a thing in season three that totally disregards everything that went on in season two. All right, I hate. And that. in fact, that somebody really says bad. nobody has seen XXX. For 10 years. And we're going, but hold on, XXX was in season two. <sighs> yeah, I think I know what XXXX is. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But yeah, I mean, I, I quite enjoyed season one. It was okay. It wasn't really Star Trek. It was more of a science fiction kind of story. The ending was a bit shit. Um, the ending was quite jet, yeah. Uh, I didn't but But, but yeah, there's some interesting so. stuff about... Um, and again, in a way, season one now hasn't happened because season one was kind of based around the idea that he had an incurable brain disease. Yeah. Not so, it turns out, for reasons I will um, okay. hastily back away from spoiling. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, it's, it's like it's like, it's like like the Star Wars sequels as well. It's like, wouldn't don't, don't they ever think that sitting down and working out what your plot arc might be before you fucking start would be a good idea. I mean, you know, now you they, see they, those, they've that... got to, they've got to think that Picard might run for more than one season. So, you know, why do something in one season that is then completely and utterly destroyed in the second season or the third season? It's just shit. I hate it. It's bad, lazy writing. What it is, and I think, I think you can probably say it about the Star Wars prequels, and you can or not prequels. They're just dreadful. Uh, the, <coughs> the, the last, they were, the last they were better than the sequels, which says a lot. Uh, um, well, no, I, again, and you, you, you say sometimes people just want nostalgia. The first sequel was brilliant. It was yes, it's a rerun of the Star Wars movie with all our old familiar faces. It's exactly what I wanted, and it's great. Um, no, but no, one of the problems with both Star Wars and Star Trek, or Picard at least, is you've got one writer going, "Huh, that other writer that just wrote that bit, they're shit. I'm going to undo everything they've done." 
Yeah. Um, and it happens in both of them. Um, but then that's so, where your your producers and your executive producers should be saying, this is the arc. This is where we're going. There, there's yeah, the writer's yeah. room. The writers collaborate in the writer's room to, to produce this story, not fight yeah, with well, each I, other. It's I just, guess it might yeah. be that actually these people are in a position of producer and get their way. Anyway, anyway, oh, let's not bitch about things we don't problem, like. Let's talk about... So. Yeah, let's talk about things we do like. Um, <laughs> uh, so like? we have, we like all our patrons and we thank them. Thank you very we much, do, patrons. They're fabulous. Thank you. And thank you for the new ones. Shall we move on to the world of gaming? Yes. Let's talk about something else we like. D&D. <laughs> do we like D&D? Oh, we? dear. This isn't going to go well. Um, <laughs> where do we start with all our D&D news? Uh, well, have you seen the D&D movie yet? I have not seen the D&D movie. Uh, Would you like me to spoil it for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, we, I probably won't bother going to see it at the cinema now. I'll wait till it comes on telly. Um, we were talking about going, and Jenny was, you know, reasonably reasonably interested in going. Um, we just never got enough kind of interest or momentum behind us to get out the door and go and see it. So, yes, feel well, free to spoil, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. But spoiler I, alert, I, I, I will listeners, try... spoiler alert, just in case you haven't seen it and you do want to, uh, tune out, Matthew, as you normally do. For the next few minutes. Well, I, I, I will, I will endeavour not to actually spoil the plot, such as it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, it has a plot. Well, that's a spoiler in itself, isn't it? <laughs> Most of these films don't uh, have plots at all. Uh, I, I seem to be slightly, I think, on our Discord in the singular once more, in that everybody seemed to enjoy it a lot more than I did. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Just, just let me just Previous say that, 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 is, that is that is now known as the Fury Road syndrome. <laughs> so now you know how I feel. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm not on. getting gifs of the D&D movie or <laughs> gifs, uh, as it's more properly pronounced, of the D&D movie as my wake up call every morning, like you were with the Fury Road. I it wasn't, but no, then it, no, to be fair, you said Fury Road was crap, and I'm just saying now that D&D wasn't bad, and in fact, it was the best of all the D&D movies there have ever been. Well, it's a pretty low bar, um, though, isn't it? I mean, it is a pretty low bar. Um, <laughs> Sad to where, say. Where, where, where do I go with this? Um, so, in many ways, unlike all the other D and D movies that basically just took a generic fantasy plot and hung it on the brand, this, at the very least, did try and feel like a, 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 a table of D and D players playing some sessions and you know right. having fun. Uh, so that's pretty good to be able to translate a bunch of that into an actual sequential rather than interactive story. Um, and they they managed to do that quite well. There were a few asides that we, uh, were kind of uh, crossing over uh, almost to n not what the characters were saying to each other, but you could imagine their players, the players saying, saying it yeah. to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but not in a really over breaking the fourth wall sort of way. It was all all nicely done in the universe so that i quite liked um i said on the discord and i think it's worth repeating that for me there was much too much exposition uh which does in a way recreate the sort of feeling of when you're being a dm in a DD game and somebody comes to you with their character and slaps down three pages of backstory for their character yeah. before you even started the movie that is how the movie begins in fact with um three pages of one character's backstory Mm -hmm. um and it, that kind of pays off a bit of a joke later on but 
not enough to make it worthwhile. Um, yeah. uh, there's some there, there's there's a lovely set piece where they're doing a the sort of plot you might imagine again a table of D and D players coming up with uh, to bypass whatever you know obstacle the dm had put in their way in a humorous way and that that was that was lovely and again i won't spoil it too much uh, but there were some good that was really the best sequence of the film um, did, it, did it have any so, have any scenes where the uh, the characters spent two hours debating over how they should kill this person they've captured and then they made them part of the team at the end of it no because that's not a thing clearly, that happens in D. i mean well it would happen they would just kill everybody they think well, it would happen in D and D if we were playing it, though. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there was. I, I was slightly disappointed by the fact that there was a really brilliantly irritating paladin in there. Paladin, who I thought was going to be joining paladin. Sorry, there we go. <laughs> who I thought was going to be joining the um, joining the group. the group, as it were. But he was only in there for kind of a middle act. Which sadly I fell asleep in. That shows you how <laughs> engaging it was. I mean, how bad a film but, is it if you fall asleep during the film? Particularly a film like a well, D and D film, which should be packed full of action. I have to say, I do have this problem in a cinema. I I often miss the, an early five minutes of many a film because the lights go down. You're in a comfy seat. <laughs> it's kind of warm. And I just have a little snooze. Uh, <laughs> uh, the last time I had a little snooze uh, uh, to great effect was in the really boring bit of the first Hobbit movie where all the dwarves were coming and singing their bloody songs, which I frankly would like to sleep through when I'm reading the book. Um, and it was, <laughs> I felt it was brilliant that I'd slept through that bit in the in the movie. This, uh, though, th- this is actually towards the end of the second act of the movie, by which time I'm normally wide awake. So I suggest that does reflect upon the quality of the film yeah. and scripting. Is this enough of a review yet? Probably. I'm, I, um, I was, I was not... bored five minutes ago, so I don't know about the listeners. <laughs> it's not doing brilliant, brilliantly well in the in in the actual takings, despite um, you know lots of D and D people saying it's good. I think lots of the general public aren't getting that message. Uh, it wasn't very full when I went to the cinema. I do I do wonder um, whether a D and D movie is something that just puts a lot of people off straight away. If you're not a D and D fan in, in yourself, then you go, "Oh bloody hell, D and D! I'm not bothered," and it, and it cuts you off yeah. even before you've even looked at what the movie might be like. I mean, yeah. I don't know, though, because, you know, stuff like, and again, I don't know whether this is comparable, but stuff like the animated adventures that are coming out of Critical Role on um, on Prime, they seem to be, ratings-wise, pretty good, at least as far as Amazon Prime are concerned. Okay. Um, so one might have thought, you know, and Stranger Things and all that sort of stuff, D&D is, you know... True. Possibly yeah, it's becoming a bit more... A, a bit more mainstream, yeah. than it is, isn't it? <clears throat> in that sense, and I, I think they were hoping to capitalise on that, and um, I'm not sure they did. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a yeah. I think and I'll tell you an interesting thing: the the visual effects weren't great. No, no. Okay. They weren't by any means bad, but they weren't. I don't okay. think you'll miss anything by seeing it on a small screen. No, what I'm saying. I mean, the budget was something like. A- 100 million wasn't it i mean it's quite a big budget exactly exactly what i'm getting at for the budget i wasn't impressed um uh, they they, they looking at struggling to break even or even oh i think they're looking at struggling to break even yeah i mean given that 
they, in their second week, were beaten by John Wick, of all things, mm. in its fourth week. Um, yeah, that's not a great suggest to me sign, that they it? might not hit, break even. Yeah, it's no, I think there'll be a relatively long tail for this. I think they'll break even in the end, but it, I'm not sure it's going to qualify for a sequel. No, no, and, yeah, and it's a pity. Um, Warcraft, which I love as a film, again, I think probably suffers from the same thing that people have heard of Warcraft but don't play it. Um, mm. I turned off by it when actually, you know, it was, it was, I was, I was very, very impressed by the film, much better than I expected it to be. And that did quite well in the, uh, um, in the cinema. It made, it made something like 250 million, but that wasn't enough to, Mm. (laughs) to get a sequel, which is a pity because, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of stories I could tell there. And I, for one, uh, I'm sad that, uh, that they're not going to be more Warcraft films. Sullivan. I got to say, with Warcraft, I watched it for about half an hour, and I was, Sullivan. you know, I never went to the cinema to see it, um, so I can't say I fell asleep. But I, you know, it was on one of the streamings, and something happened and interrupted my watching, and I never went back to it. So uh, yeah, I think there, there so definitely was, is. But a, I know nothing about a, the world of Warcraft. There's definitely a nostalgia thing in it, you know, mm. for um, you know, certainly for me and, and for Jenny. So. Uh, Definitely. Well, but yeah, and in of itself, yeah, I think okay. it was it was a very good fantasy film, even if uh, even cool. if you weren't, you know, even if you took it away from the Warcraft brand. Um, but yeah, obviously not for everyone, sadly. Uh, so, should we move on from D and D and talk about D and D? So, um, the Lord of the Rings is the which is Free League's fifth edition version of. Um, the One Ring. The One Ring is coming out very shortly. Um, May the 9th. Possibly not the before date. the next episode, but May the 9th. Um, May the 9th is the date. You should get an episode given. before then. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've been sent a preview PDF, and I've been looking at that, and I've got to say two things. One is it's almost beat for beat, simply a version of The One Ring adapted for. Lord of the Rings. So visually, yeah, uh, the, the cover looks very different. The name is different, um, but, but inside the it's pages all it, very similar, isn't it? Yeah, and a lot yeah. of the same artwork has been used. Yeah, uh, I don't know if there is. I think the maybe. cover is new, but I don't think any new yeah. interior art's been. Yeah, I think the cover is new, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it um, looks lovely, but it looked you know just at a glance at it, it does just look like the One Ring. Um, yeah, was, which is, which is great because the One Ring is lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, but I would. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd urge our listeners if you're thinking there's going to be something new or different in um, in this version, then don't bother collecting it, as it were. Just just to have that. If you've got a group that you really want to play the One Ring with, and yet they say, "Oh, well, it's not like D and D," then yeah, by all means, get this. Um, yeah, because. Because you'll love this book. Um, it looks lovely. Uh, and yeah, so that's the one thing, the, the look. What's the other thing? Oh, the other thing is, now, I, I, you've run Simbaroom, uh, it, well, Ruins of Simbaroom, haven't you, Dave? Yeah, and Simbaroom I have phone. not looked at the document enough to see that. How reliant were those books on actually having... Um, the, you know, if you like the three core books of D and D, they were they were reliant. Uh, so 
you yeah. you needed you needed the players book and the GM guide. You didn't need the bestiary, of course, um, but you need the you need the core rules, basically, because yeah. the the you know the the five E um, license didn't allow you to put the rules into your own books, so people have to have the the standard books. Yeah. Um... So I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're here. already well, a five, mean, that, if you're if you're already a five E player and you've got all the books, then you know, and you want to move into the setting of Simba Room or the Lord of the Rings, then that makes it really easy because you don't you're not you're not paying for all yeah. the same rules not, that you've already you, got again. What you are doing yeah. is paying for the the, you know, the 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 overlay that allows you to run those rules, and they are slightly different. So obviously, with Simba Room, um, you had corruption, which is a an additional rule. Yep. And you had, um, I think they call them cantrips. If not, they're called, if they're not called cantrips, then they are basically very minor spells that you can cast. Well, about. they exist in fifth edition. Do they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think there was definitely something different about it. Maybe you could use them without more. You could definitely use them more frequently. I think. So I'm no expert on five E, and I had to work quite hard to get myself up to the right level just to run Ruins of Simperum at UK Games Expo last year. Um, right. But it, I, I'm pretty sure there was something about the cantrips in Ruins that was different, and it meant you could use them more often. But uh, yeah. I, I, I'm happy to be corrected by a 5e expert. Um, yeah, I'm not, I can't really claim to be a 5e expert. I've only played, and I've played in one campaign, but I remember cantrips being a thing in that. Yeah. Not so much for me, because I was a barbarian, but even I had cantrips, I think. Um, that I could use pretty much any time I wanted. Yeah. Uh, and magic users had even more. Um, so, yeah, a, there's some interesting stuff there, like uh, do you want to play D&D with the one ring dice? There's some ways of doing that, which don't okay. actually involve the D12s at all, but do involve 3D6, mm. which is interesting because 3D6 do not make a D20, but, um, <laughs> no. you know, I, I haven't. I haven't played it, um, but um, I, I enjoyed those rules there. They're trying to make a feature of using the one ring dice, so that was cool. Um, yeah, I think it's, that's probably all. I, it's quite. I possible guess one of us it, has got to bloody learn to play it for um, UK I was Games Expo. Say, it's quite possible we might be running this demos of this at UK Games Expo. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so we well, can, maybe we all have. We can have a fight over who who runs it. Yeah, or Although, make Box Boy do it. <laughs> I don't think he'd want well, I think, to. I think that's already in terms of his contract. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's already said, I'm not running Lord of the Rings 5e. Yeah, Sorry, so we Neil. See, we're, we, do, we do need to work out what other what other games we're going to be demoing. At the well, same that's what time, I'm doing so. already, actually, today. Yeah. So I'm working out what sessions we're running and when. I'm going for two-hour-long sessions. Yeah, I think that's that's fine. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> what what I ran at UK Games Expo last time was ninety minutes with half an hour between sessions. Yeah, now, that's that's kind of I, I'm that, and that's what we ran the first time we did Alien. I'm doing a two hour slot with a with a break in between as well, so that you could overrun up to two hours. Because because I, I remember you were using that that second half hour even in the Alien games. Yeah, so, that's um, true. Yeah, okay. So I think that's Fine. that's that's what I'm planning anyway. Okay, so let's have and a look. We've got to have some more change over time between games as well. Yeah. If we're going to run different games. Yeah, we just need to see how many we can squeeze in, really, because the, you know, the more yeah. the merrier. Particularly with three of us who are going to be running it, it's not 
It's not like last year. I was I was fucked after UK Games Expo last year <laughs> doing all the demos myself. Yeah. It was great fun, but it was bloody hard work. Please excuse Dave's use of the language there. We don't normally swear on this uh, podcast. Don't we? We do. We do a lot. <laughs> I was going to say, am, am I going senile here? <laughs> this yes. Is, this is, yes, you, know, you are. This isn't, this isn't as bad as some podcasts who swear every other fucking word. But, yes. But I think the odd, the odd, the odd expletive, I, I personally feel, adds a bit of spice and colour to... Um, yeah. I know, I know some I'm of having our a theory. maybe don't enjoy it so much, so apologies, uh, but we don't, we don't do it all the time. Um, I, on, I was thinking the... about Star Trek, where there was some swearing going on in, in Picard, of course. And yeah, of course, I Star heard... Trek, famously, oh, yeah. they don't swear, because as we all remember from Star Trek IV, uh, Kirk has to explain to Spock about how people in the 20th centuries, you know, use expletives uh, mm. to, to add emphasis to words. Um, and I've come up with a little bit of fan wink here to, to explain why they now do swear in, in Star Trek, which is that Spock, with his logical, analytical brain, realised that there was a distinct advantage to swearing that he learned in 1984 <laughs> when he visited and brought swearing back. And, of course, right. for most of Next Gen, they're still not swearing. And that's because Spock's at work. You know, he's a long-lived fellow. He moves slowly, but slowly reintroducing swearing so that by the time of uh, Picard, it's perfectly acceptable again. Yeah, well, that 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 makes I guess logical sense. Star Trek with swearing, a bit like Star Wars with swearing, doesn't really work for me, frankly. Yeah. I haven't seen I haven't seen the swearing bit, uh, obviously, because I haven't seen Picard season three yet. But it just yeah, do you, do you need it? Star Trek's never needed it before, so why why mm. do you feel the need to do it now? Is there something really kind of you know emotionally so intense that Picard because we're not on network TV anymore Picard or whoever it is you know who swears feels that swearing is appropriate I don't know now I'm all for swearing but I'm just not for swearing in Star Wars or Star Trek because it doesn't need it and it's never needed it yeah yeah I don't particularly think it needs it there's some nice swearing in um in Strange New Worlds, which I'm trying to work into my fan wank theory, and I'm wondering whether Spot then goes back in time to deduce it. Anyway, <laughs> I, I think yeah, I think this may not hold water. You're stretching <laughs> it a bit now. If Spot Spot goes, yeah. you know, through, it's a bit like oh, what was the character in um, uh, Life the Universe and Never, not like yeah, Life the Universe and Everything, the um, uh, Hitchhiker's book by Douglas Adams. Yeah. It's um, oh, it, oh it's it's the, I can't remember his name, but it's the guy who's immortal. And he goes basically through all of time and space, insulting the entire universe <laughs> in alphabetical order. <laughs> I'll have to look up I what do his remember. name was. Yeah, that was hilarious. Um, we're kind of <clears throat> getting off the topic here. We've still got a bunch of world of gaming to do. Um, so let me just go back and find uh, what's what's the next thing we're talking about. Okay, so we've talked about D&D movie. We've talked about D&D Lord of the Rings. It's time to talk about D&D Lord <clears throat> of the Rings. Because um, the there, there was an interesting announcement earlier on play. that um, we're having a live play session that's going to be broadcast starring, well, importantly, not starring Elijah Wood, despite the fact he's on the trailer, but starring such luminaries, at, or should I say such luminary as Deborah Ann Wall. Ooh, yeah. um, <laughs> so... Uh, so the only good thing about this for me is Deborah Ann Wall. 
Um, I saw the trailer for it, and uh, my my, it's just like, oh, what are you doing, people? Uh, I mean, it, it's it's it's, it's a it's a performing arts thing. It's not a game thing, and they just take themselves so seriously, and it just put me off instantly. It's not the kind of thing I would watch anyway, so it's not for me. I'm not their target audience, but it's just like you know, I mean, oh, for, sorry, I'm going to swear again. For fuck's sake, I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> Either do it as a performing art thing, as a as a as a show, as a as a as a play, or do it as a game. Don't try and do both, because it just it re- yeah okay. Um, you're a philistine, I, Dave. I'm 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 struggling difference. because of the feathers that I'm spitting. <laughs> you know, it's just no. Well, let but me it's, put it it's very plainly and simply to you, Dave. Why this is a good thing. What they are doing is they are putting the name of Free League in front of a massive audience. Yeah, I don't doubt that for I a second. Heard it before. I and I don't mind that. I think that is fine. It, the, I'm talking specifically about the event itself, not the not the the wider benefit or the or the really good reasons for doing it. It's just for me, it's just far too, it's far too up up their own ass and far too taking themselves seriously. Deborah Ann Wall, I will say, on the trailer, isn't wearing a costume and looks no. like she's having fun. And that is how it should be. That's perfect. And she is, you know, she's been my crush yeah. since uh, I've, I've got to say, given, given this anyway. is meant to be an actual live performance, I don't know whether it is. I don't know whether they've actually played it yet. I know they've done other Lord of the Rings stuff based on a Lord of the Rings board game. So I'm wondering if what we were seeing there is actually footage from their Lord of the Rings board game thing Possibly. as opposed to the RPG stuff. Um, and But they do see, there is a point at one where they seem to be sort of round one of those sort of actual play uh, panel show type sets. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But... Um, I'm looking forward to it happening and I will promote it when it does because it's, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that love D&D and love Lord of the Rings who may not know about the Free League. And, yeah. you know, there's been a lot of comments on the trailer going, oh, why aren't they using the One Ring? Why do they have to use the D&D rule set? Because the D&D rule set is really popular. Yeah. <laughs> and and it may well bring people to the One Ring rule set, which will be a good thing for everybody. Yeah. Right. Uh, positive okay. rant over. Um, <laughs> next bit of, of yeah, cool, here we are, and we're like almost uh, thirty-five minutes into the show. We still haven't finished World of Gaming. Um, yeah. You just, you just never show up. That's the problem. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about this interesting thing. So, Chaosium have made a very firm stance against things like AI art that we have talked about in yeah. previous episodes. Um. Now it seems it's interesting that they're kind of getting in into bed with a, a thing that looks to me an awful lot like, among other things, an AI, AI art generator. Okay. And that's um, a thing called Quest Portal. Um, and it's a kind of game aid for people playing. And at the moment, it's I think they're only doing it for um, uh, Call of Cthulhu. But it seems to be a bunch of tools for playing and for running Call of Cthulhu, including a kind of character art generator, which I can only imagine is going to be a form of AI art. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, 
I'm beginning to be now of two minds. I was dead set against AI art when we started having this debate, what, only months ago, kind of around the new year. And now I'm beginning to think it's just so endemic and it's beginning to get so good that we're not going to be able to stop this. Um, I think there's definitely a thing about, you know, stopping the tide by putting your finger over the crack because I think once it starts, like you say, someone somewhere will use it and then someone else will use it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was was chatting to to my wife about this the other day and because she's just like come across a lot of this stuff and was, you know, raving on about how great some of this AI art, AI art now is and saying, well, I think, you know, that the, the issue seems to be, you know, that it's drawing its inspiration from art, from other, from real artists. Yeah. yeah. And it's, 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 it's breaking that bond between the artist and the, and the, cre- and the, you know, the client as it were. Um, the, the thing where it would work would be if the artists themselves were willing and you know uh, active participants in it and said i am producing my art and giving it to this ai to use and i therefore then yeah. get x percent of each image that is created using my art now, i think that might be a model that would work in the future um but i think at the moment they yeah. just mine mine the internet don't they i think as far as i know for, um... as far as i can see yes and there is a thing you know that's kind of happened in music there was a time when you know when mixing remixing um music and sampling sampling is what i'm looking for sampling yeah. music was a thing that was done entirely illegally and under the wall and it, you know some great music came out of those samples um and now that's slightly more tied up with yeah you can you can sample this music but you're going to be paying the originator yeah. of that um thing that you're sampling from some some portion uh, you know i think it's going to be a lot more difficult to work out uh, all the different originators of the stuff that's sampled for AI art. But I think it is inevitable. And I think this way, Chaosium is, you know, they're still saying, no, not in our published works, we're going to use human artists. And no, not in your community content, we're not letting you use yeah. AI art for stuff that you publish uh, through our gateway. But with this uh, Quest portal, um, I think it's called Elder, the brand, that you know that they're working under um that you know yeah you can use this ar character art at your table that's absolutely fine and that's kind of a conclusion that we were reaching last time we talked about this so and it's a way that they, in a way they can then control this uh, you know as how that ai art generator works and maybe it doesn't use all of the internet to source its images and stuff mm. like that I think there's an interesting thing about how kind of wild west the internet gets with AI art because I think if you've yeah. got if you've got some control and some regulation and you're it's being channeled in in ways that you know you can go back to the provenance of the original artwork and you can reward the original artist for their for their talent then that's fine but if it's just a free for all um which is yeah. kind of how it started uh then getting that provenance is going to be almost impossible if not impossible and and <laughs> And if it were to remain just a free-for-all, you know, that wouldn't be so bad. I mean, you know, 
from each according to their ability to each according to their needs sort of thing. It's a, it's a great progressive principle. But it's not going to be a free-for-all. At some point, there's going to be a robber baron, just like there was in the Wild West. Yeah. And you suddenly find that you're paying through the nose for all of your AI-generated entertainment. And that robber baron, who doesn't do anything creative at all, is raking in the cash. Um, <laughs> that's, that's what we've got to try and protect yes. against. Um, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Yeah. Um, now, talking of robber barons, you got something to say about Terminator T two? <laughs> robber barons? Why is that robber baron? Anyway, <laughs> um, just just wanted to flag to the listeners if they're not aware already that the uh, the Kickstarter for the Terminator RPG T two Judgment Day supplement is still running. It's got four days to go from the point of recording, which is Sunday the sixteenth of April. So it's running until Thursday. It's it's going to fund. Um, but it, it, it seems quite modest to me, actually. So I, if anybody is interested in it and wants to go and, and back it, um, crack on, you've got a few days to do it. But yeah, they've, they've got up to £55,000 um, of their 10000 goal. So yeah, they're going to they're gonna get, they're gonna get there. Um, obviously, they're going to they're gonna fulfil it. But, it. but I was just surprised when I looked at it this morning and I thought it would be bigger than that. Um, I don't know whether I was just having the wrong kind of expectations or, or whether actually it's underperforming a little bit, I don't know. But um, but there you go. So if you're interested in Terminator, there um, you know we've got a few days left to go and back the Terminator Two Judgment Day supplement. Yeah, I'm not surprised because I have no interest in it at all. I didn't even know. Um, I mean, we announced that we were going to be doing this, but I haven't. This is the first time I've gone to the Kickstarter page to actually have a look at it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think our listeners know how we feel about the underlying system of the Terminator game. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, all kudos to Nightfall for um, Absolutely. for SLA yeah. Industries, etc. But it's not one that works for us. It works for some of our patrons. Uh, Paul yeah, absolutely, uh, yeah. can really use it well. And, you know, he, he's created Roll20 stuff that makes it really easy to use. But it, it's not for me. Um, and frankly, Terminator is not for me um, as a setting at all i enjoy the movies but uh it's very limiting and i've got to say and i've got to say i'm not impressed by the fact that the um t2 stuff wasn't included in the original core book actually yeah i think the Terminator. yeah i've I've been tempted to get the terminator like uh you know core book i haven't done i'm tempted really just because i you know I, i love the terminator well the early terminator movies um it's not something I suspect I'll ever play. And yeah, I mean, maybe just, you know, in my mind, you've got, you know, your big, um, your big IPs from the sort of the 80s and the early 90s. You've got Alien, you've got Blade Runner, you've got Terminator. And they're all kind of on a, in my head, on a kind of level playing field almost. Um, so yeah, maybe surprised that Terminator didn't, didn't generate a bit more of that energy and heat that Blade Runner and Alien did but um, but anyway it's there yeah. if, if you're interested guys um, go and go and look it up on Kickstarter and, and back it if you're if you're tempted right that's enough world of gaming he said at uh, 43 minutes into the episode let's <sighs> um, uh, shall we listen to your essay yeah so let's get on to base building shall we with the Walking Dead Kickstarter just finished Many of us on the friendliest Discord on the internet got talking about base building. Now, I love a good base, stronghold, arc, 
Haven, castle, camp, bolt hole, ranch, tavern, oasis, town, outfit, spaceship, airship, or whatever it may be. I love building them as part of my games. I always have. It's perhaps telling that my most played video game ever, with the obvious exception of World of Warcraft, is called Seven Days to Die, a zombie survival base building game where surviving the zombies is simply, for me anyway, the enabler to building the bases. So I got to thinking, what is it about base building that I enjoy so much? Why go to all that bother? What purpose do they serve in role-playing game terms? How complicated should they be? In good role-playing games, your character is more than a piece of paper with numbers scrawled on it. They are more than just a phantom moving through a setting or an environment, alone and isolated from the world around them, as if they were happy with it. Of course, some characters are going to be wandering loners, like Strider in The Fellowship of the Ring, or Clint Eastwood in just about every western in which he ever starred. But the vast majority don't have a backstory that they're trying to forget. They'll have a family or community from whence they came, a place that they, at least at some point, called home. I care about the safety, security and prosperity of my characters, so I'm always thinking, when I'm rolling up a new character, where did they come from? Where are they going? Where do they lay their head at night when they drift off to sleep to feel warm and secure? And if they haven't got that place yet, where do they want to lay their head at night? A character's base in a role-playing game helps articulate that emotional and historical scaffolding that the rest of your character stands upon. It immediately helps flesh out that backstory just by drawing out where the PC lived, lives, or wants to live. So that brings me to my first thought. The base is a safe place for the characters, where they can all let down their guard, at least for a while. I love this. I love, at the end of a long and dangerous session, the thought that Yafet Otho, or Tengrail the Elf, or Brody Anaheim, or Magnusum the Butler, gets to settle down round the fire, talk over their exploits, have a beer or a whiskey, and sleep well. It gives me, as a player, a nice warm glow of satisfaction of a job well done. This brings my next thought. A base provides an emotional epicentre for all the players and the campaign as a whole, and a common bond that connects them all. For me, this is especially true. As a player, I feel very protective of my character's home. Remember my dismay when Oceanus Partha's ship was shot down by a so-called friendly character? or his desperate focus on making enough money to keep the ship flying? It was a blow in my current Forbidden Lands campaign to leave our newly acquired stronghold, the Griffin's Claw Tower, when we suddenly realised we could never afford to repair it, let alone run it as a going concern. Tengrail is on an ongoing quest to get enough money to have a stronghold and find the right place where he can rest in peace. So that thought moves swiftly to the next one, a base provides common cause and motivation for the players. This has become increasingly important to me over the years. Long gone are the days of playing a campaign like a PvP cinematic scenario. If I want to kill my fellow players, I'll do it in a one-shot, thank you very much. Also, it feels that the bad old days of your PC group always meeting in a bar over a punch-up, where their reasons for fighting with each other were tenuous at best, are largely behind us too. So having a hook, or hooks, 
at the start of a campaign that help tighten the bonds between the player characters is really important. Having a communal home or community is a great way to start building that bond. This bond could be to build it or protect it, or it could be something like Tengrail for the characters to aspire to and work towards as an underlying theme for the entire campaign. But this might not always be sweetness and light. While the PCs should have the base in common, that doesn't mean it won't cause conflict and tension, as some characters might want to build the base in one way, and other characters see it in another. So far, I've been talking about the philosophy or the principles of having a base in a role-playing game. But now comes the next question. Narrative or mechanical? Just for storytelling and background? Or should we use rules to bring these places to life? I suspect the answer to this is it's horses for courses. And there is a spectrum here. From purely narrative, it's our home and that's all we really need to know, at one end, to the supremely mechanical with rules for everything and a lot of bookkeeping at the other. And of course, all the shades in between. I caught the Dread movie on telly the other day. The good one, with Carl Urban, of course. And damn, that is a good film. And not only did it remind me of some of the great games that we had of the old Games Workshop Judge Dread back in the day, it tickled my fancy to run Dread again. But it made me realise that even in a game like Judge Dread, there is a narrative base, a centre of operations that was always in the background, but an important part of that PC scaffolding I was talking about, the Judge's Station House. Now, as the GM, I played this exactly like Hill Street Blues, with Judge Booker as the Sergeant Esterhouse or Sergeant Dablonsky character doing roll call and saying, let's be careful out there. And it worked brilliantly. It was the emotional epicentre of the game, in a game where the characters shouldn't care about home at all, should just care about the law. As an aside, the opening credits to Hill Street Blues are still the best TV opening credits ever. They're just superb although maybe the original Magnum PI credits are better. Hmm. Damn, I think we have a tie. Oh, and another aside, Bruce Whites, who played Belka, was born to play Rorschach, although Jackie Earl Haley, who played Rorschach in Watchmen, was superb. Anyway, back to the point. Narrative can work very well indeed. As we've seen, even a game like Judge Dredd benefits from this home base effect without any consideration of it in the rules at all. But what about games where the mechanics play a part? There are at least four categories here, with ever-increasing levels of complexity to meet the preferences of any player. First, games where your base is intrinsic to your campaign setting, but without the need for specific base-building mechanics. I'd include games like Airship Pirates here, but would also put the likes of Star Trek Adventures, Coriolis and Traveller in this group. In these games, your ship is your home. Star Trek Adventures goes a long way to make your ship a character in itself and make you love it. But like Coriolis and like Traveller, Star Trek Adventures gives little room for you to grow your ship. And once you have it, it's all really just a blank canvas. Yes, when I played Star Trek, I loved my ship, the USS Excelsior. But that was because I loved the ship and had nothing to do with the mechanics making me love the ship. And on Coriolis, I could say more about what I think was the Coriolis base-building missed opportunity, but we'd be here all night. Two, then you have games where there are some rules about your base, 
but they're very light touch and they aren't about developing it, but they are about the minor benefits you receive for it. In Salvage Union, for example, you have the Union Crawler, your home base where you go after your adventures. It has basic downtime rules that are light and easy and work well for those who don't want to worry about bookkeeping. But this is more about downtime, similar to Tachyon Squadron, and less to do with your base per se. The third category moves us into the rules-heavy realm, and I'm thinking Forbidden Lands, Mutant Year Zero and similar games here. I'd include good old AD&D too. In preparing for this, I dusted off my old copy of the DM's Guide that I've owned since 1982. The base building rules there are in-depth and thorough as you'd expect from D&D, but no more so than modern iterations. Although in AD&D the effort of building a castle offers you no other PC benefit than having a big castle with perhaps some low-paid kobolds to protect it. These base building games take quite a lot of effort, but do offer a wide range of PC benefits if you make that effort. I also love the feeling of building something bigger than my character, that takes a long time to grow but is something to be proud of when it does. Mutant Year Zero is slightly more abstract than Forbidden Lands in how you apply the benefits of developing your arc, but both require the PCs to choose what to build, acquire the materials to build it, and see it through. I get this is not for everyone, but I love turning my mind, and the mind of the playing group, to the challenge of base building, arguing over the options and the benefits, and seeing what we then collectively build together. For me, that's well worth a bit of bookkeeping. Then at the far end of the scale, we have those systems that go all in, but where you have to follow the rules, rather than having them as optional. The main examples that leap to mind here are A Song of Ice and Fire and Dune. These games require you to build your house and manage the growth and impact of that as a critical element of the game, without which you'll be missing a key part of the Game of Thrones or Dune experience. There's so much more I could say about this topic, about middle-of-the-road base building in games like Twilight 2000 4th Edition and the headquarters in Versen, or the way games like Blades in the Dark look to manage that similar principle through its crew and lair rules. I could also mention the approach Matt and I are looking at with the town in Tales of the Old West, or the way to bring your colony to life in Alien. I hope I've covered enough non-Year Zero games to keep all our lovely listeners happy, and I'm very excited to see Free League's freshest take on base building in The Walking Dead. So, I know you really like base building, Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know that um, uh, I suggested a, a kind of Oregon Trail Wild West game to you um, when we started building Tales of the Old West. And now suddenly we're doing bloody um, uh, building a town a la Tombstone. Not Tombstone. Um, Deadwood, Deadwood. Deadwood. Yeah. Um, oh, and slightly Tombstoney as well, I guess. Uh, uh, so yeah, I know. I know you like that. I, you know, we've talked uh, uh, in the in the back of your head the uh, what we what we call Rome Year Zero, but you would actually be something like Rome seventy nine A um, mm, D. Will involve a yeah. lot of that. So which which what date? It would be about a hundred B C E. BC, yeah, yeah. So the, the end of the Republic, rather than, yeah, rather than the uh, start of the Empire. And tell me, why why does that work for you that date? Uh, it's kind of the the point where um, 
uh, the, you know, the Republic begins to really creak at the seams. It's when Gaius mm. Marius um, becomes uh, powerful and he shakes up the uh, the very conservative nobility uh, and the way that in the Senate and makes a lot of changes that then go on to lead to the fall of the fall of the Republic. So it's so really, is that about it's a know, really in, it's a really interesting time and it's also a time where you you have the consuls still so any any noble can rise to become you know the senior consul which is the most powerful man yeah. in Rome but you only hold that post for a year uh, there's no emperors there's no dictators uh, like Caesar or Augustus at that point so every character every family has got the opportunity to rise to the most powerful position so I I kind of like that um, and then there's quite a lot of things going on in the Roman Empire at that point that are very good for sort of role-playing campaigns and settings. So I think and are some of those things going on a, a deal of base building? Was the point I was trying to get at when I asked this question? No. Oh, okay. No, Bang I, goes my theory. I did, I, did, I did kind of wonder where you were going with Rome Year Zero, because I, I think Rome Year Zero probably isn't one that I would focus on base building in. Ooh, okay. Well, um, then I'm going to look forward to that one, because... I'm not as big a fan of base building as you are, I think. No, that's very um, true, I'm sure. Uh, so, and it's going to sound terribly like um, I'm stymieing your base building in um, in Forbidden Lands because I don't like it, but that isn't the case, actually. <laughs> um, you've just got to be really rich to start base no, building in no, I think, is what we're discovering. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think, I'm I think you're encouraging just, it, actually. I think you're just running it as the game tells you to. You know, rules It's written. written, yeah. Um, which gives you very, very little money. And now if I was running it, I might be more generous more quickly than you have been, should we say. So that you could get into the exciting so thing you of could, the base so building, you could start, really enjoy. So, so, so the players could begin to at least aspire to, to base building, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't all, mind. I, I mean, was all like, for base building when you took on the Griffin Tower, but yeah, um, but also very uh, not upset when it turned out to be too expensive to to keep maintaining, uh, to, and you needed to do more adventuring to do anything. Then, yeah. yeah, we're a yeah. long way away from affording even a small base in Forbidden yeah. Lands. Uh, but it's because that's interesting though, because your stronghold in Forbidden Lands is such a big part of the game. And there's a lot of rules, a lot of column inches are dedicated to it. Um, and it is probably the most in-depth you know, simulation, if that's the right word. It's, it's not, but it's the closest I can think of at the moment. Um, mm. In most of these games, it's the one that is, is kind of the most in, you know, in the weeds. And then the rest of the game doesn't give you enough money to do it. So it's like, yeah. you know, there's, a, there's an imbalance there. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, it is expressly stated. If it's not in the game rules itself, then somebody like Thomas says it in an interview, possibly with us. I can't remember, but I remember distinctly somebody saying, "What we wanted is we didn't want people to amass loads of money and have nothing to spend it on, so we created the base building rules yeah. for the stronghold, so that they could actually spend their money on something." Um, and yet, and one of the other things they did yeah. to make sure nobody had any money is not have any money. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so, so far, there's a tempting thing there with, as you say, pages of rules. I, and I think, to be honest, and I think we've talked about this before, so I won't bore anybody, but I think the, the capital mistake they made with 
base building in Forbidden Lands is that it relies on money, whereas actually medieval base building doesn't kind of rely on cashy money it relies on simply being able to feed the number of people in your in your um yeah workforce stronghold effectively yeah and i think um you know there there could be a better set of rules but i'm not interested enough in in base building to be able to work out what that better set of rules should be and of course money does abstract some of those things but not in a very um, yeah good way for me because it means you need to go off somewhere and find gold whereas if we'd done a thing where you could say okay your base building is about um you've got this tower now can you make that into a small holding and then that small holding that supports x people so you can recruit a couple of other people now you've got somebody who can help you build a forge yeah uh, yeah uh, I, I don't know and then the forge of course helps you better plow the land so your stuff gets more productive. I think there may have been a better way of doing it. Maybe. Um, but they have gone kind of for... kind missing my point there. Yeah, go on. Sorry, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say that because they, they have just gone for that very, very in-depth approach in that in, in Forbidden Lands. You know, to, to compare that to Mutant Year Zero, where you, you, you get to create projects and your projects will take a certain mm. amount of time. But it's not the same level of, uh, of detail at all. And then those projects give you points that go on, you know, your welfare or your warfare or your technology, and then you use yeah, those. Yeah, I use think those, that might have been a better approach. Actually, then you use those stats for... in, you know, if your base comes under attack, your warfare stat, you know, dictates how well you you can defend it, and that yeah. and that's and that works well in in that example. You do start, of course, in Mutant Year Zero with an arc with a lot of NPCs in it, so you start with a with a community which you don't mm. in forbidden lands in forbidden lands you are finding no. a place and you're building that so it's coming from a slightly different point in the process but um uh, it is a more abstracted version it's quicker and easier and even i i think feel sometimes the the forbidden lands rules are a bit too detailed because particularly when yeah. we tried when we tried to port that over into our first ever iteration of tales of the old west it just became enormously bogged down in you know, how long does yes. it take you to get the wood or how much money do you need to buy the wood? And yeah, it, so it naturally we, yeah. we, we, we came, we rode back a long way from that because it was too complicated. Yeah, I, I think I think we're right. And I think actually, you know, it could be that, um, oh dear, and now I'm having lots of conflicting thoughts, but I I think <laughs> the, the abstraction of uh, Mutant Year Zero and the Ark may be better. Than abstracting it down to cashy money in Forbidden Lands, mm. particularly given that they actually taken most of the cashy money out of the lands of the Forbidden. <laughs> you know, we've just played, and in fact, this this is another. This is why I'm thinking about this. So, we've just played what I think is of the um, pre-written scenarios the the most rewarding adventure that I've discovered in all uh, of the published the, or officially published the Mellified Mage, yeah. The Mellified Mage, um, and there's, you know, actually you've got, I think, probably more money out of that than you've ever had before, but it's still not actually much money. I can't no. remember what the number is. I don't remember what Which the number actually... is, but we did also do that. We decided to, like, rouse the, the the Mellified Mage right at the end, having cleared out the rest of the place because we hadn't made enough money. And, the, you know, and that fight could very easily have killed us both. 
Yes. You know. It, so, you it, know, we can see how money works as a generator for getting you rogues and raiders into trouble with, with the yeah. big bad. That worked quite well. Um, but actually, yeah. there's a crap thing that reminds me. I think we're meant to be playing a game next week, and it's Forbidden Lands. I ought to drop a line to you outside this. Uh, and to the other players about what you want to do because there was talk at the end of the last episode about do we stay here and try and make this a base so uh, yeah yeah i better ask that question of you all uh, properly and work out what the next adventure is going to be in the next week uh, that's that's a little bit of uh outer podcast um <laughs> that uh, you as a listener can enjoy um but that's not where i kind of wanted to get to so of all yes i agree with you entirely about shipbuilding being a bit crap in um in in Coriolis. in Coriolis, and we've spoken about that before. And elsewhere, yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I don't particularly, I, I, while I do think it's a bit crap still, it doesn't quite reflect the players in the way I wish it did, I'm not massively um, keen on the concept of, of modules. And, you know, you can actually build your ship, actually, over course in the campaign, if you want. Massively expensive. Yeah. But... I I I I don't really like that. That's not a that's not part of the fiction. In most in most things, you don't see people building new modules on the sides of their ship, and it gets bigger. Um, and therefore, I don't miss it particularly. No. I think my favourite of all the base building models in all the free league games is the one from Verson, where you inherit a pretty big castle in ruins. In not ruins, but dilapidated shall we say and with your xp you between adventures discover more elements in this castle you don't know exist and you get to choose which elements you discover so i quite like that in terms of building a base that supports your you all as characters and the sort of characters you are and also the thing i really like about that though is it also generates adventures within itself as well so that's my favourite base building system, I think, in in the games we've seen. Yeah, I'm, I I like that one as well. And again, I think it it, it part of its uh, advantage is that the game allows you to start with a your foot a few rungs up the ladder already because it gives you the building. Mm. It's not like you yeah. have to you know generate the money to buy the building. You know you, that this comes your headquarters comes with your group. Um. So it makes it easier. So it's not it's not a burden. It's not something that you struggle to maintain. You know, like a stronghold in Forbidden Land or your ship in Coriolis. It's something that is yeah. there, um, but you can then develop it. And certainly the one. And the other thing I like about that as well is I can't remember exactly how this plays out. So um, don't quote me, boys and girls, but read the rules yourself. But there is an element of when you acquire a bit of equipment in the game for the purposes of whatever the adventure requires, you get to keep that or not, depending on whether you can put it back in your base, as it were. I can't quite remember exactly how that works, but there's an element of um, effectively equipping the base then with the equipment that you don't need for every adventure, but you've you've still got it. it yeah. I don't think it happens for every bit of equipment. I think there's a bit of a rule about whether it just sort of disappears off, it's used by the end of the adventure, or you get to keep it. I can't quite yeah. remember. But I like that because, again, that's an organic way of building the base as well as the planned way of saying, okay, what, you know, we've got some base building XP. What are we going to spend it on? Um, I need a library or whatever. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, because in in Thomas's campaign, um, the the Japanese Meiji uh, one, mm. my character is is effectively a you know he's not a librarian, but he basically spends all his time in the library back at the headquarters, and that's great. I love that. You know, he doesn't need yeah. much to give me that feeling of 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Connection. Of, yeah, not connection, but like um, of having a place that is mine. Yeah. You know, of, so of, this is this is this is a thing that pisses me off about the the ship uh, building in um, in Coriolis. If you look at stuff like Firefly as a, as a spaceship example, but you could also you know look at Giles in the library, the school library in Buffy or whatever. There are generally spaces where each character is reflected, whether or yeah. not it's as obvious as a librarian works in the library <coughs> there are spaces that reflect each character and and that's what i'd like i'd like a shipbuilding system that said okay i am this sort of character and therefore i'm contributing to the ship this sort of space which is kind of the space where you know it's the arboretum where i go and meditate for my mystic character or whatever and it, and the Coriolis rules get so close to that, but but back away slightly because of a lack of things you can put on the the spaceship. But I'd I'd really like the elements of a spaceship in that game to reflect the characters that occupy the spaceship. And yeah. I don't think it does that well enough. And I think that again, I think that's another thing that Verson does really well. So the castle becomes the castle that you your group own and another Uppsala castle somewhere else or a group based in London or in Japan or whatever their castle is different even if it's built out of the same rules yeah no no I agree cool so do we agree then that Verson is the model upon which we should do all base building in the future and what we hope for in the forthcoming rules which you should be getting in a week or two shouldn't we for um for the, the Walking, Walking Dead. Dead, yeah. Well, I, I, think, uh, I think I think Verson works for Verson. Okay. Um, it might not work for every every game, and I think a survivalist game probably requires a bit more grit and crunch. I would, I mm. would think, perhaps. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting interesting to see what um, what the Walking Dead brings us in that regard. I mean, it's interesting because from what I've seen, what I've read. They're, they, you know, they've said they're keeping the rules light or lighter in in The Walking Dead, so more of an ilk to Verson or um, Tales mm. from the Loop, which is fine, um, no problem with that. Does that mean? Does that you know? Does, does that translate into base building as well? Probably does, yeah. I suspect, because they they are very good at taking a philosophy for a game and sticking to it. So. Um, so maybe it does imply that the 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 rules would be a bit more abstract or a bit more verson like. Yeah, or even you know, I uh, the arc building of um, uh, Mutant Year uh, Zero. Mutant Year Zero would fit pretty well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Maybe um, maybe it will be out before the next episode, and if it is, we could uh, carry on this discussion in the next episode. Yeah, because I'm quite keen to run it, so I'm I'm. Waiting, you know, with bated breath for the uh, for the PDF to pop into my inbox, um, and I'm going to run out on on my Wednesday night. Give it a try. Cool. Um, 
but yeah right then so a review of the next uh, of the walking dead will be your your essay for two weeks time well for whenever the pdf turns up and i've got time (laughs) if it turns up on sunday morning then i won't have time to to review it before we start recording but yeah that's that's uh, i'm definitely up for that that sounds cool if it's not that we'll think of something else um at the last minute obviously (laughs) i i i did my essay on friday this time I'm, I was very well organised, unlike some of us. Not quite the last <clears> minute, then. Not no, like no. after we recorded the actual show. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, a basic principle of doing the essay before the show is is, is something <laughs> we ought to try and adhere to, Matthew. Don't you think? But yeah, yeah we but can't... remember, I did warn you days before the show that even though I had an idea, it was a really crap one, and I probably wouldn't get to write it until. Yeah, you did, and it was. A, and it was, you didn't come up with anything else. You made some excuse about having to do some rewrites on building better worlds. <laughs> Actually, having some. Oh, paid work so yeah, let's talk about base building in Alien. What what innovations have you got for that one? Uh, I think that we're going to have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The whole point of this show is is so that we can get secrets out of you from bloody Alien. Damn it. I was disappointed I didn't read about that actually in, in your base building essay. I thought, I'm going to get some gossip here. But no, yeah. no, no. Wait till the edit comes out. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, who knows what, what makes the cut and what doesn't. So, yeah. Um, although, I, yeah. Yeah. Right. So think, when it does yeah. come out, we'll do the, these are the rules that didn't get in. Uh, <laughs> if, if that, yeah, if that happens. I mean, you know, there, there are certain things that I think, you know, I know, you know, the, the guys want to be in there. Um, we are in the process of editing at the minute, so I mm-hmm. haven't seen what the overall finalised picture is going to be. So um, until until I see that, I think I just need to be slightly cautious on on what I circumspect say. You know, it may or may not be in it um, because it, you know things can obviously change until. But if Until you it's... promise the world that it's in it this time, then they'll have to put it in. <laughs> go Possibly. on, go on. Promise the world we're going to have an agrarian character archetype. No, we're definitely not going to have that, I'm afraid. Yeah, because apparently you can play an agrarian with any other... Bloody, with a rough, with a, rough, rough, roughneck, yeah. And that's a fair point, actually. My ass. Yeah. It's anyway, it is, actually. Anyway, I think that's probably enough for one day before we get into realms of getting me sacked and um <laughs> so uh yeah so it's uh, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him and may the icons bless your adventures you have been listening to the effect podcast presented by fiction suit and the rpg gods music stars on a black sea used with permission of free league publishing